0: Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, a joint podcast from The China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of The China Project. On this week's episode, smartphone maker Oppo exits chip design as the smartphone sector reels. Tencent Cloud to cut prices amid intensifying competition. In addition, A prominent Chinese comedy producer takes a $2 million U.S. hit for a military-related pun. Let's jump right in. Oppo, one of China's largest smartphone makers, is shutting down its chip design business amid an extended downturn in the global smartphone market. According to a company spokesperson, Oppo's chip design unit, named Zeku, is closing due to the uncertainties surrounding the global economy and the mobile industry. The move marks one of the first major tech enterprises to withdraw from the chip sector following a surge of investments made by electronics players who were wary of tightening U.S. export curbs. Over the past year, the phone maker has faced significant challenges, experiencing a slump in shipments and accumulating a considerable inventory pile up. Next up, we have the latest news on China's cloud service industry. Starting in June, Ten Cent's cloud business will cut prices for some of its core services following a similar move by bigger rival Alibaba Cloud in April. Tencent Cloud announced this week that it plans to introduce additional discounts for cloud servers in some regions with price cuts of up to 40%. Tencent Cloud's announcement came just three weeks after Alibaba's cloud unit said it would cut prices for its flagship products by as much as 50% and raise the maximum commission rate for sales partners to consolidate its market dominance in China. According to a research report, Alibaba, Huawei, Tencent, and Baidu's cloud businesses accounted for a combined 80% of customer spending on the Chinese mainland last year. Meanwhile, Alibaba has undergone various internal business adjustments. As part of a sweeping business revamp initiated earlier this year, the tech giant has transferred its autonomous driving research team under its Da Mo Academy to its logistics arm, Cainiao, According to a Cainiao statement, some staffers from the Damo Academy's autonomous driving business will be transferred to Cai Niao, while others will be allocated to other Alibaba units. Alibaba set up the Damo Academy in 2017 as an in-house research initiative. It later expanded the Academy's focus to include the development of autonomous driving technology. Cai Niao also set up its own autonomous driving research team in 2016 to develop smart delivery robots. The team partnered with the Damo Academy in the development of a crewless logistics vehicle used for last-mile delivery in communities and on university campuses. As one of the six independent units within Alibaba following a significant restructuring, Tsai Niao is currently in talks with investment banks regarding a potential IPO in Hong Kong. Let's turn now to Baidu. The search engine giant's revenue in the first quarter has surpassed expectations as advertising sales received a boost from an economic recovery in China. Its net income also exceeded estimates, partly driven by fair value gains on investments. Baidu's results suggest China's largest internet firms are making some headway in revival efforts after two years' of regulatory crackdowns and COVID restrictions. The company made a significant move this year by launching ErnieBot, a response to OpenAI's chat GPT. The development triggered a race by domestic rivals like Alibaba and SenseTime to introduce their own generative AI platforms. As for now, Baidu will continue to count on its bread-and-butter advertising sales to generate cash and fund riskier projects. We wrap up today's business brief with a recent social media incident involving a prominent Chinese comedy producer that has spurred public debate. Chinese stand-up comedian Li Haoshu has been fired after social media users accused him of insulting the Chinese military in a joke he made during a live comedy show in Beijing last Saturday. Li's employer, a subsidiary of Shanghai Fun Factory Entertainment Group, was fined and nearly 15 million yuan, or roughly 2 million U.S. dollars, was confiscated by a local cultural authority in Beijing. Beijing's Municipal Culture Bureau said Li's scripts of the stand-up shows involved contained insults directed toward the Chinese military and caused an adverse social impact. During the comedy shows, Lee made a pun comparing his adopted stray dogs chasing a squirrel to the slogan, Forge Exemplary Conduct, Fight to Win which is a motto associated with the military and is considered a tribute to soldiers. While some social media users defended Li for his unwitting metaphor, an overwhelming number of netizens pointed out that not everything can be joked about and that the Chinese military is a red line that can never be crossed. In response to criticism on social media, Fun Factory said it will regularly educate its members to ensure they have a clear understanding not to touch political red lines or public bottom lines out of ignorance. Let's turn now to Yu Kun Zhang, who is a finance reporter for Caixin Global, to take a deeper dive into a big story from the week. Hello, Yu Quan, and welcome back to the show.
1: Thank you, Kaiser. It's been a while.
0: So today we're going to talk about a court ruling of a bond fraud case that's a bit controversial and not a little complex. So what is this case about?
1: The case in question involved Chinese steel cord manufacturer Shandong Shengtong Group. The company defaulted on a number of bonds it issued between 2016 and 2018. A court recently decided that two of the company's executives and four intermediaries involved in the bond issuances have to compensate bond investors for financial fraud. Many junk bond investors have been discussing this court ruling, and some were saying that the value of China's junk bonds or high yield bonds may need to be reevaluated because of it.
0: Hmm, why did the company default? Did it get into financial trouble?
1: It did, and it tried to cover it up by fabricating profits for 5 straight years, starting in 2013, when it was actually losing money all this time. That's according to an official investigation.
0: Wow. So it's actually impressive that they got away with it for so long.
1: Yeah. And Cai Xin was the first one that broke the story. Uh, so back in December 2018, after the trading of some of Tong's bonds got suspended, Cai Xin reported that the company had already defaulted on a number of debts that were not bonds and had to rely on support from a local government to sell off some of its assets to repay one maturing bond. The Caixin report also revealed that the company had misrepresented its finances. About 10 days later, Shengtong issued a statement saying that it had indeed failed to repay some debts on time, but denied the fraud allegations.
0: How did the company end up in court?
1: After China's securities watchdog penalized the company, Investors of Xiong bonds sued the company's leadership and some intermediaries, seeking compensation for uh, what is called misrepresentation of bonds.
0: And how did the court rule?
1: The court, of course, ordered the defendants to compensate the investors. But the amount of compensation later became a matter of debate. So the court ruling followed the principle that plaintiffs in civil lawsuits cannot receive compensation that is greater than their actual losses. So investors got paid what they had actually paid when they bought the bonds. But some investors expected to be paid based on the face value of the bonds, as they would have if the issuer of the bonds were to make the repayments when the bonds mature. The court does not think that's how it works. It's that that the gap between the price that the bond investor pays for the security And the securities face value shows that a bond purchase is an investment. So the court said there's no guarantee an investor will end up receiving its full face value.
0: That is an interesting debate. Is there another point of of debate or discussion?
1: Yes. Uh, There's another debate over the date of exposure, which the court uses to determine which bond investors have the right to seek compensation. To qualify for compensation, an investor has to have bought the bond in question before the date of exposure, or have taken losses from selling it after the date. So the date of exposure is essentially when the fraud is made public. Under current Chinese laws and regulations, this date is when authorities begin investigating a fraud case, or when a regulatory website or a nationally influential media outlet breaks the news of misconduct. There also has to be evidence that the market has reacted to the news. In this case, Cai Xin first reported on December 14, 2018, that the company had misrepresented its finances. But the court determined that the date of exposure didn't occur until December 25 that year, when Tong released the statement saying that they didn't commit any fraud. The court said in its verdict that Tyson's report was only accessible to paid subscribers and that there wasn't enough evidence showing that the market was fully aware of the report's fraud allegations against Sheng Some legal experts disagreed with the reasoning. They said that a paywall doesn't stop information from spreading.
0: That was certainly an interesting case, and thank you very much for sharing that.
1: You're welcome, Kaiser. Uh, let's talk next time.
0: And listeners, if you'd like to hear more about why the ruling in this case is important and what its likely impact is, please head online to com. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief was produced by me, Kaiser Guo, and by Lin Jinbing, Leila Hashemi, and Suzanne Wong at Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Sinica Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and China and the Global South. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from the China Project. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take
1: care.